This sound recording is for educational purposes. Some licensing requirements may apply. Dr. Cindy Mason and RadioAI.net, 2023. Radio AI. www.radioai.net. The public resource for artificial intelligence literacy by the people who do AI. Welcome to another podcast of Radio AI. I'm Cindy Mason. I've been an AI researcher at NASA Ames, UC Berkeley, and Stanford University. I've worked on robots, softbots, and other kinds of AI technologies. I'm your host and the director of Radio AI. Today's Radio AI podcast is on human-robot interactions, especially the interactions and concerns we have about humanoid robots. We have a special guest, Mr. Thomas Telving, who looks closely at these issues. He's a philosopher and has written widely on the human-robot interaction. He's got a new book out called Killing Sophia. It's a strange title, but the meaning is important because it turns out, as philosopher Kant said, if we disturb beautiful things, it is disturbing to us. So if we disturb humans or robots that look like humans, it's disturbing to us. His lecture comes at an important time because ChatGPT and Dolly and other similar generative AI tools are being connected to virtual humanoid looking robots and also physical humanoid robots. From Hanson Robotics, there's a robot called Sophia, which has become very famous. She is, if I can call her a she, this robot is a citizen in Saudi Arabia, and it has been a guest on TV shows like Jimmy Fallon. Actually, Sophia sang a duet with Jimmy Fallon. What's important about Sophia that relates to our speaker today, Thomas Telving, is that Sophia looks like us. Sophia has the appearance of skin. She has a face and a body with arms and legs. And the issue of human-robot interaction gets more complicated when the robot looks like a person. We are definitely venturing into the unknown in terms of human-robot interactions, in terms of philosophy, in terms of what's at stake here. And how people react when they meet a humanoid robot depends on the person. How do we talk to such a, a bot? How do people who build those bots explain them to us? Thomas Telving is a specialist in human-robot interactions. He's made a book called Killing Sophia. It's a rather disturbing title, but it is a very popular book because what it contains are aspects of interacting with Sophia, which we must face. Consciousness, empathy, and reasoning in the age of intelligent robotics. It really has to do with, basically, we humans have a hard time escaping the idea that these robots that look like us are, quote, alive, quote, although they are machines, they're devices, but they're something that looks and acts, quote, alive, quote. Our brains just can't help but thinking like that. 
So, Thomas is going to talk about how does it affect a human to commit a crime on a robot, such as killing it. My opinion is that the idea of killing a robot, to use that word, it just doesn't make sense. If you think of a robot as something like a toaster or a car, it's a device, and it's not something you really kill. And I mean, I think it's very uncomfortable to consider this, but unfortunately, having these devices in our environment and online, in our games and immersive environments also, it's an issue we need to face. Our speaker today, Thomas Telving, is going to talk about how we should treat it like a tool or should we treat it like a human. He's going to talk about the needs for philosophy that we have. So if we mistreat a human, if we mistreat a robot that looks like a human, this will be disturbing to us. We welcome Thomas for this very special topic for Radio AI. My name is Thomas Tilving and I am a Danish philosopher, author and speaker. And I hold a master's degree in philosophy and political science and I have written a lot of popular articles covering ethical concerns about artificial intelligence in a broader sense. And I frequently joined the public debate in Denmark about these things, especially in relation to ChatGPT. But I guess you could say that I'm specialized in the field of human-robot interaction and, and that's also mainly what will be what I will be speaking about uh, today. The most significant effort I try to do in treating what I see as, as the most important philosophical questions regarding new technology is writing a book about it. The book came out last year, published by University Press of Southern Denmark, and it has a title that I later found out sounds quite more dramatic in English than it does in Danish. However, it's called Killing Sophia and it has the slightly more academic subtitle Consciousness, Empathy and Reason in the Age of Intelligent Robots. And the book is basically about how I believe um, our relationship with what I call human-like technology will develop as the technology improves and, and spreads and, and become more common. The first time I personally realized how strange an effect this technology uh, has on humans was when I saw an interview with the android Sophia created by Hanson Robotics. The Sophia robot might be something of a, well, a PR gimmick uh, within robotics robotics but but that's not the point here the point is that that when i watched her and i heard her talk and saw these interviews with her many of you may have seen them on on youtube other other places uh, what happened was just little by little and and without me really noticing it i started thinking about sophia as someone capable of feeling something within just a few minutes minutes of, of watching her it became hard for me to see her as just a machine. I couldn't seem to escape the feeling that that Sophia was uh, sort of was sort of one of us. This thing, which many by instinct call her, by the way, was not was not like an iPhone, not like a toaster, or not not like any other electric or electronic device, or like a doll. She seemed far more alive, and this made me wonder what would happen if someone asked me to tilt her over, or even worse, if someone asked me to kill her. Would I be able to do that without feeling very bad about it? And and thus the, the title of the book, Killing Sophia. Because what I did after that was simply I, I, I set out to investigate whether it was okay to kill Sophia. And that was the working title of my book, Is It Okay to Kill Sophia? 
which which ethical and philosophical questions and concerns are at stake here? And this invest, this investigation turned out to be far more complicated than I first thought. Luckily for me, a, a lot of research had already been done and about it, and it turned out that there was research able to say something less anecdotal about humans, how humans tend to react when meeting human-like robots and, and also chatbots in these chat GPT times. And one of the main points of my book that I also feel is that when it comes to our relations with human-like technology, we simply have a very hard time escaping the feeling that the technology really is alive. This was not just me being weird. I reacted like many would do. And it happens because even if we feel very sure that these things are, are just machines, our minds are designed to think that something that looks and acts alive is alive. And we will have a very hard time not empathizing with it, or at least with some types of machines. And the next thing that happens is that we will let these machines into our moral sphere, so to speak. We'll come to think that some robots and even chatbots have the right to moral consideration and perhaps later on uh, to a kind of rights because we will think they have uh, consciousness and, and that they need protection. Now, I know that this sounds crazy to, um, to many people, and, and I want to stress that giving rights, something like human rights, to robots, that might be the beginning of the end of the world as we know it. So, so it's not something that I support. But I find that, that the more you dig into how robots and human-like robots affect us, the clearer it becomes that denying at least a degree of moral consideration for robots might not be that easy or that simple. Because it's not just about if a robot is alive and able to feel pain and other things, which I do not think is the case, but it's also about how it affects humans to mistreat something that reacts like humans do. And in Killing Sophia, I present what I call the robot rights thesis. And I'll try to explain a, a very condensed version of that here. And after that, I'll explain how all this will put human civilization in, in an unfortunate uh, situation. But also why the alternative which is treating robots like slaves is not without drawbacks either. So the robot rights thesis, if we take the first step, uh, that's about a, a basic philosophical problem. And this problem, uh, it says that although there are many good re reasons, many good arguments against robots having conscious minds, we cannot reject it with certainty. And within philosophy, this obstacle is called the problem of other minds. And originally, it concerned the minds of the people around us. It basically says that, that we have no direct access to other minds than our own. And followingly, we can't know if other minds really exist. In this context, uh, the, the concept of other minds is uh, not about whether someone is able to show meaningful and seemingly conscious uh, reactions to the things that happen to them. It's not about if someone speaks in apparently meaningful sentences, and it's not about if someone seems to be able to think. The problem of other minds uh, concerns uh, a more fundamental different question about what it feels like to be someone, what it feels like to burn your fingers, what it feels like to see something red. And science can tell us a lot about the correlating brain process of these experiences. 
but the mental states themselves, the, the qualia, as, as some philosophers call it, the experience of the color red or blue, the feeling of running your finger over sandpapers, these things aren't described when we describe brain processes. And the same goes for AI models constituting a robotic brain. We know how they're built and trained to recognize and reproduce natural language. We know why they can produce sentences, even sentences about conscious states like color visions or feelings of pain and pleasure. We know that and it's very unlikely that their expressions are followed by mental states and experiences. But in principle, we cannot know for sure. We can pose arguments against it, good arguments even, but we cannot prove it with certainty. And the problem of other minds is, well, if you ask me, that's, that's arguably the most essential philosophical problem of our time. And I personally believe that our inability to solve it will play a huge role in what may make us grant rights to robots. So that's the problem of other minds. And, and if some of you listeners disagree about this, I suggest you read some, something more about it. I could refer to uh, an American-Australian philosopher called David J. Chalmers. He's written some excellent things about this problem, and he's, he's really good at explaining why it is such a problem. All right, so let's move on to, um, to step two of the robot rights thesis, and that is about empathy, and that uh, the empathy that we human beings have is very, very hard uh, to ignore, because despite the problem of other, of other minds, we, we often still feel like having a pretty good idea about what goes on in other people's minds. When you see somebody bumping their toe into a doorframe, you, you have a fairly accurate notion, notion about their inner life. It, it hurts, you would think. And those of us who are not psychopaths will mostly feel sorry for that person. A widely accepted term for this ability is empathy. This is the capacity to understand or feel what another person is experiencing. And, and it's due to empathy that the inner states of the living beings surrounding us doesn't appear to be something obscure. It's not something hidden or something it's re something irrelevant. It's very relevant to us. And, and empathy, that's a, that's a very, very basic conditions for, for humans. We're social beings and we can be that because other people's inner states are relevant to us. If we see a person in pain, we're inclined to help that person. It works on a neural level. Neurons in our brains mirror the inner life of others through what we see and hear and, and that makes us have a similar feeling ourselves. A funny thing, by the way, is that if you eat painkillers, then you will have less empathy with the person kicking the doorframe. Okay, so now that was empathy. We have the consciousness, which we can't really grasp, and we have the empathy. And then we have step three of the, the robot rights thesis. And this says that, well, increasingly human-like technology will trick our brains to some extent, because we, we empathize mostly with people that look like ourselves. The bigger the similarities, the stronger the empathy. This has already started posing problems regarding realistic human-like technology like robots and chatbots. I've seen many reports about users of the digital friend service, or what you call it, Replica. You might have heard about that. And the users having some pretty deep feelings for the platform's avatars. But an, an obvious problem with that is that the empathy that these users feel towards the avatar is likely not to reflect something real. Rather, it seems that we're being tricked into believing that certain AIs have an inner life. That is something our empathy does for us. We're tricked. This it's sophisticated, but also completely normal thing. 
um, at least otherwise, but, but when we face technology, it, it becomes sort of a problem. I've met people who say this tricking only happens because of a lack of technological insight, but I, unfortunately that is not the case. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to, to get rid of it just by, <clears throat> just by explaining how technology works. Many developers and entrepreneurs with deep technological insight believe that, that some of today's AI models possess consciousness. A very famous example is the former Google engineer Blake Lemoyne, who believes that uh, Google's chatbot Lambda that he was testing, that, that it was actually a sentient machine. And the only reason this can happen, and the very reason why we can't why we can seriously uh, disagree about something as controversial as whether an AI has developed consciousness. Well, the only reason we can disagree about that is the problem of other minds. So, so this disagreement also shows something about how real that problem is when it comes to robots. We can't open the machine and see if it has a mind or not. And for now, the belief in machine consciousness, that, that's a narrow trend, which I personally find is a good thing. But I also think that as technology develops and spread, it will become mainstream. I think that billions of people will be interacting with social robots in, in homes, in schools, in nursing homes, at hospitals, at the job. Not to mention all the apps we can expect being built upon uh, GPT-4, OpenAI's uh, large language model. This will spread and a natural reaction is, is to think that they are alive, even if our rational minds tell us that they have no more inner life than a, than a microwave oven or even a, a Windows PC or something. So that, so that was, that was, um, that was step three of the, the thesis that I, that I made, that, um, that the more human-like technology becomes, uh, the more it will trick our brains into thinking that it is uh, alive. Let's take a look at step four now. And that is about this thing I, I mentioned about uh, including robots in our moral landscape. It is basically a very good thing that we tend to include beings we believe can feel pleasure and pain into our moral landscape. This goes for animals, uh, but, but research suggests that it'll work the same way or even more outspoken for, for human-like technology. And this means that we will face some, some pretty tough psychological barriers if we attempt to exclude robots from moral considerations. An aggravating reason for this is that robots are not only able to look and act as if they have feelings, they're also able to explain mental states using the exact same language as human beings use to describe feelings. Um, and that will, that will make it hard for us to exclude them from, from, from a moral landscape. Even, even if we think it's a bad idea, it will be psychologically hard for us to do that. And I, once again, I want to stress that I don't, this is not some kind of development that I support or that I think is good. I'm only trying to, to think about how do we react and how does research indicate that human beings react when me meeting human-like technology and, and it, this includes these things. So, so the last step I'll mention now about the, the robot rights thesis is we might end up granting rights to robots. What, what I'm talking about here is not practical legal rights like I believe they've made for, for delivery robots to, to make it easier for them to move around in traffic in, in some states in America. What I'm talking about here is, is a sort of natural rights for robots, some, something that, that, um, that we would give to them because we don't uh, like the idea of them being oppressed and abused. And I know that this sounds uh, a bit far out, and I, I, I kind of think it is, but I still see this step as, as hard to avoid because we are who we are. Whether it, it will happen, that, that's an open question, of course, and, and I kind of hope 
It won't, and of course it will be different from different cultures. Uh, but looking at how rights have developed both uh, regarding humans and animals, it seems likely, at least for some cultures, that it, this might happen. Okay, so that is in brief the robot rights thesis. There's a lot more to be said about it, uh, of course, but what I hope is clear is that it's not a, a result of us humanity rationally assessing and choosing our individual and societal response to a rising number of human-like robots among us. It's rather a result of what almost inevitably happen when we are faced with beings that look like us. We anthropomorphize them, we empathize with them, at the same time we're unable to know if we're really being fooled by our empathy or if our feelings are grounded in something real, which would be existing conscious experience inside other beings. And I see a real danger that these cognitive and psychological conditions will make us prioritize certain forms of unconscious artificial intelligence at the expense of conscious human lives. A bad case is that if, if we will be punishing real people while protecting dead electronic circuits, that would be a disaster. And um, unfortunately, Research has already made sociological experiments showing that people are willing to lie to other people to protect human-like robots from harm, not because these people are crazy or psychopaths, but because that's that's just how we work. Our rationality is overridden by our empathy. And the last thing I want to say is that there's a dilemma in this too, because if, on the other hand, we ignore robots as morally relevant, which would seem to be a good thing to do, well, then we face other problems. If we take a look to the German philosopher Immanuel Kant, he said that destroying beautiful things disturb our own morality. So if we accept the premise that robots will soon look very much alive, treating them cruelly, well, that will disturb our own morality. And even even if they don't feel a thing themselves, which I, I don't think they do or will do anytime soon, well, that, that's still a problem with it. Kant's line of thought, it fits amazingly well with contemporary research. Even though our capacity for empathy is inborn, it's also partly a learned behavior. So social conventions and context have been shown to influence our individual level of empathy. And we can, to some degree, be taught to become more cynical. And we might not be able, that this is a, a point I think is important, we might not be able to, to ignore our empathetic reaction towards one being, a robot that is, while upholding it towards others, well, human beings that is, and this means that it seems plausible that treating human-like robots with a certain level of dignity will, in a bigger picture at least, make the world a better place also for human beings, because it will strengthen our morality and doing the opposite will weaken it. So even if we rationally believe that robots are nothing but dead electronic devices consistently mistreating human-like robots, well, it might just dull our moral abilities. Okay, so that is the dilemma uh, the, the robot rights thesis puts on us. We seem bound to empathize with robots. They'll simply affect us morally in one way or the other. And in the future, when robots become very sophisticated, we cannot know for sure if they have become sentient. Like I said, I don't really think that will happen anytime soon, but it could happen. And adding to this, even if we feel positively sure that robots are dead as microwave ovens inside, well, mistreating them, as Kant put it, could uproot our own morals. And well, I, I don't see any simple solution to these hard questions, but I, but I hope that people will take it 
seriously. I understand that some might not, but but I but that is my hope that that, that uh, people would take it seriously rather than just trying to ignore, or explain away this this uh, tech anthropomorphism that is so obvious. So um, we we have to meet it as an, an as an unavoidable condition that we simply have to deal with. Empathy that is not a a bug. It's a necessary and good trait of humans that happens to pose problems when it comes to to certain kinds of technology. And I should end by saying that that these issues have been discussed uh, a lot in in certain circles of philosophy and and not everybody agrees with me. But I hope that people will will read my book or some of the freely available and easy to read articles I've written about it uh, and join the discussion. These are important questions for all of us and it would be sad if they were isolated as something that's only of interest to philosophers. You've been listening to Thomas Telvig for Radio AI. Stay tuned for more cool Radio AI podcasts.